0: Swamp Meadow, Swamp Meadow Podcast Time. Swamp Meadow Podcast Time. Swamp Meadow Podcast. Swamp Meadow Podcast. Time. Hello, welcome to the Swamp Meadow Community Theater Podcast, episode number three for April 29th, 2014. I'm your host, Andy Affleck. Hey, what did you think of our theme music? That comes to us courtesy of Seventh Constellation. That's Maya Grandy, Hannah Gibb, Izzy Giorgiani, and Sean Grandy. I wanted some homegrown music from within our community, and they are just fantastic. Hopefully you got to see them at Finnegan's Farewell or at Foster Follies. They may be planning to do something that doesn't involve an F soon. Finnegan's Farewell, Foster Follies. Anyway, Three Musketeers opens this Friday, and I'll say more about that in the news segment later on. Up first, an interview with Tim Hillman. Tim is a recent addition to our community, joining us for the Crucible and then for the man who came to dinner. He is directing Our Town this fall and auditions were just held this past weekend. I sat down with Tim over Skype to talk about his plans for Thornton Wilder's most famous play. I remember reading uh, somewhere that this is your third go-around with Our Town. What is it about this play that you keep coming back to it? Um, Eternal Truth is one, is one way to look at it. Um,
1: is, it's a play that I've again, again, that I've done, done it again and again, um, each time for a reason when I moved to California I went into a school that was throwing forty fifty thousand dollars at musicals to have them produced and I thought that's too much and routinely five thousand dollars a standard play and I went well that's too much to be spending and the audience functionally needs to understand something about the theater if they don't understand it already because my audience was really two sides where I had the film industry and a bit of the theater industry on the other side. The theater people I knew would get it, the film people I had to show minimalism to. So with that show, I was there in the Disney Pavilion and had this huge space with gigantic doors at the back to go to where the scenery was. Or to to where scenery was stored. And Melissa Rivers played the stage manager and when the audience walked in completely bare theater, as she walked in, as the lights went down, she came in, the two big doors at the back opened, and then as she came forward, each piece of necessary scenery, basically being the legs and the backdrop, came flying in behind her until she got downstage, and then there was a lit stage behind her. So it was saying, we can go from a completely non-theatrical space, or one that seems that way, to suddenly being very theatrical. And from that point forward, it was also a training with the actors to get them both into the concept of modern realistic acting, but also to get them comfortable with the idea of the meta-theatrical tricks that Wilder played in this show that had been seen before, but not quite the way that Wilder used them. Um, Meta-theatrical meaning it's not naturalistic theater. It's it's sort of it's a cross between presentational and representational. Uh, so a meta-theatrical trick would be, uh, Iago talking to the audience in Othello, where he goes down and try and talks to them. It's like that's meta-theatrical because it's not in the realm of the naturalistic drama that we're doing. And in order to allow the play to be didactic, to be a teaching play, Wilder very specifically bought those meta theatrical tricks into it so that he could talk directly to the audience in a way that the actors couldn't. And in particular, by using the character of the stage manager, he was able to literally have himself, the playwright, represented on stage. So as I've gone to it, and this has been, you know, what what leads you on? We close that one, it does great. I'm in Tennessee, I've been there for eight or nine years and have learned the difference between a Yankee and a damn Yankee which is that a Yankee comes to visit, a damn Yankee stays and about the time that I got the damn Yankee label I decided well we're gonna throw some New England theater to you and that was when I dropped an R-Town on them which was done incredibly differently rather than in a proscenium, rather than in a proscenium staging did it all environmental so I built a small 16 by 20 set and was full arena around it and that made for a different show that still worked
0: when you say full arena around it do you mean 360 or or
1: yeah it was 360. i took the i took the stage took a made a 16 by 20 stage and then full audience around it that there's going to be a lot of that in the foster show in the swamp meadow show that's going to come to bear perhaps in some interesting way i don't i don't even know the ways that it's going to finally realize itself there may be audience members on stage um, a row of four and a row of five separate from a platform but definitely to support the concept that this is something that we're all seeing, we're all going through this and we're all picking up the meaning from it at the same time and what has stunned me approaching the play this time was going back I said if I'm going to look at this thing a third time I'm really going to do some heavy research on it that you don't normally have to do with Our Town because on the surface it's so freaking simple. The key that I found was that Wilder didn't see this play as a drama or as a comedy. He sees it as a tragedy.
0: Why tragedy?
1: Because of what happens in the the third act. Because when Emily dies, and it's not the tragedy of Emily dying, it's the tragedy that comes when... Emily realizes that, in a sense, everybody on the stage is a tragic character because they do not see life around them passing. They do not see how important little little daily things are. And Emily can't stand to be with them because of those things that she's suddenly seeing with great acuity that the whole rest of the world doesn't pay any attention to.
0: And it's the stage manager, I believe, who helps her come to this realization, if I remember the play correctly. Yeah,
1: and, that, and that's it. It's, you've yeah. got Wilder telling her, it's like, you know, it's you okay now, we'll go back. The stage manager is a fascinating character when you go reading him for the 150th time. And and you research him, right? And you listen to what Wilder said, and all of a sudden you realize that the stage manager is not just this nice guy leading you through the play. He's also commenting on the play and commenta- commenting on the audience at the same time, the one spot that distinct, distinctly gets me is when he's talking about um, sort of talking about the way the town works. And there are so many things you hear about the town, and you go, "Wow, you know, they have no love for beauty. They have no love for culture. They talk about everybody behind each other's backs. All of this stuff goes on." And then the stage manager looks to the audience and says, "Nice little town." You know what I mean? And when you realize that Wilder has made this play rife with that kind of material, then you start looking at it all over again. And you start looking at ways, and this to entertain yourself almost, but you start looking at ways every time out that you can make it new and fresh and challenging to yourself and to take a substantial risk when you're directing the play. And there's going to be a huge risk in this one. I don't know how it will play out. There's not going to be just one Emily. There's going to be Act 1 Emily, Act 2 Emily, and Act 3 Emily. For the different ages. For the different ages.
0: The big news, as I said at the top of the show, is that The Three Musketeers is opening Friday at 7 p.m. at the Captain Isaac Payne Auditorium in Foster, Rhode Island. This is an original adaptation by our own Heather Christie. See episode two of this podcast for an interview with Heather about adapting the novel. And it's going to be excellent. I'm running sound for this one, and from what I have already seen, director Dennis Cretion and his entire creative team, and of course the cast of the play, have done an outstanding job. You should reserve your tickets now at our online box office at www.swampmeadow.org or by calling 1-888-493-7110. Performances are Friday, May 2nd, Saturday, May 3rd, Friday, May 9th, and Saturday, May 10th at 7 p.m., and Sunday, May 4th, and Sunday, May 11th at 2 p.m. That's three shows this weekend, three shows next weekend. Support the arts, support your community, and support some talented folks who want to share with you what they've put together. In other news, auditions for Our Town have come and gone, but two more auditions are coming up. The summer children's play this year is the much-loved Annie Jr., directed by Bob Hollis. Roles are available for children and youth ages 6 to 16. Audition pieces will be placed online on the SWAT Meta website after May 1st. Please make note of special requirements for specific roles. Auditions will be held May 30th from 5 to 8 p.m. and May 31st from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the Eddy Building, South, 6 South Killingley Road, Foster, Rhode Island. Also, if anyone is interested in being an assistant director, please talk to Bob. Swamp Meadows' holiday production is A Christmas Story. Roles are available for 19, plus extras for children, teens, and five adults. Audition scripts, roles available list, along with complete production information, will be placed online at the Swamp Meadow website after May 1st. Auditions will be held on June 7 and 8, Saturday and Sunday, from 12.30 to 3.30 p.m. at the North Foster Baptist Church on East Killingley Road in Foster. Note, by the way... The directing team invites all children auditioning for Annie to audition for A Christmas Story, whose rehearsals start in September and do not overlap with Annie's. When you do a play like this that's set in a very specific location, do you worry about or do you try to infuse it with things like authentic New Hampshire accent kind of things or do you just not bother and let people speak the way they speak?
1: Well, knowing, knowing where Grover's Corners is supposed to be. If you
0: were to put, put a pin on a
1: map, it would be smack between Jeffrey, Peterborough, Dublin, Salem, and a bunch of others. I worked in Peterborough. This may explain again why I'm coming back to it. Um, but, worked there. Know the guys that did it. And knowing Wilder's concerns, the accent is gonna pop in in certain characters but lord knows not in all and two major characters you look at that should be unaccented completely. There's no reason for Mr. Webb, who's the editor of the local paper, there's no reason for him to have a New Hampshire accent. He wouldn't. He went to college in Hamilton, New York. He went to Hamilton. That's the character. So you go, okay, he's not gonna have an accent He's a preppy.
0: So is, is he this play's proxy for Alexander Wolcott? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I saw the dedication to Wolcott at the beginning of the book, and I thought, oh, cannot escape the man. Well, it's
1: it's that whole gang. It's the Algonquin Roundtable come, come to life. And they're all over the stage on this one. But you hit Doc Gibbs? No, there's not going to be an accent for the doctor, because I believe he's a Harvard guy. And looking at it, and you can go, well, okay, if these, if these kids are growing up in a house that is relatively unaccented, they're not going to have the heavy New England accent. Where I work as a director and as a trainer is the key is to grab the sentiment of the language, what, how the language feels, how that, and indeed, how that accent works. Some people it's there, some people it's not, but it's getting a musical sense or flow to the show. That's going to be the most radical thing we do of all because, and I don't know how many art towns will have ever done this. I have a composer working on a piece of music that's going to carry us from Act 1 through Act 3. So the show, the show is going to be scored and the piano is going to lead the actors as much as the actors might lead the piano. So the key, the key for an entrance might be a chord on the piano as
0: opposed to a line. And live recorded Jordan, or, or will it be a recording that is played through the system?
1: It will be live.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, cause it's, it's hard to, well, if you, if you lose your pace with a recording, it's very hard to get it back. Yeah.
1: No, no, Jordan, Jordan will be on stage, um, with, um, with a good MIDI piano hooked into the system and get some foldback monitors for the, for the people on stage. And then it's just going to get real funky and you know how, how that's going to develop can't say I know but that's the beauty of it because again looking at it as a director coming in I'm looking at it saying A music different B more use of light than I've used before and then the other fun moments are going to come you know, at the beginning of act two when someone walks out and says the role of Emily Webb will now be played by X and then we go to act three the role of Emily Webb will now be played by Y.
0: That's going to be uh, an interesting thing if if somebody who has their heart set on Emily comes to auditions and then finds out that they're only going to be Emily for one third of the play.
1: Yeah, but it's but it's which Emily? But it's which Emily you get, because the ch- the child Emily is wonderful, the adolescent Emily is wonderful, and the adult Emily is wonderful as well. But they are three different. It's like it's the same person, but three different Emilys. And I've mm-hmm. kind of vetted this one around and said. It's a choice. There are some people that'll like it, and there are some people that won't like it. It's my job to make it work. And finally, it will all come down to Emily Number Three, because Emily Number Three has got has has got to bring home the goods. Um, and I will and I won't put myself in a situation where I don't have an Emily for the th- for the third act that will do the suitable job of making the audience either weep or get extremely verklempt. And otherwise, we're going we're going to be going so minimalist. I started thinking tonight, um, and to get an idea of how far I, ahead I think these things, I looked at the script last night and said, okay, should I start blocking now? Um, I said, no, you would be good to have a cast first so I know who I'm moving around. But I'm starting to come to grips with, okay, I'm going to have a space that is this large. How am I going to use that to be all of the different locations utilized in the show? How do you take... Um, there's a, char- there's a character stuck in the, um, the church organist who is a drunk, a sad man, a bitter man. He's an interesting thing to throw into the middle of our town because he's clearly educated and they talk about him and say, small town living, just not for him. It's, no, your manner of small town living is not for him. It's like, don't think of yourself as this pleasant town. It's The way he is is partly what hath been wrought by the people of Grover's Corners. And they're not great people. Um, they are as imperfect as they should be. Mrs. Webb doesn't, it does not look at her daughter as a mother might look at her daughter. The children are definitely dealt with in a seen-but-not-heard sense. But beneath it all is this eternal truth line going with it and I think that going back to a play every 15 or 20 years and saying okay is there a new truth that I didn't see before is there something that I missed in production and you can look at it and and every time go yes you just have to be willing to look at something that you've done before and say that was less than perfect It it did its job but it wasn't perfection this one won't be perfection what it will be is a compelling two-and-a-half-hour experience.
0: Thanks for listening. If you have any comments or questions, please email them to me at andy at andyaffleck.com. Catch you next time.